How many are ready to get into the Word? Grab your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. As uh, you're turning there, let me just say, VBS does not start Monday. It starts a week from Monday, all right? So we have one week left. So get out there, register your kids, bring everyone in the neighborhood. This is a free outreach. Most VBSs in our valley, you have to pay for. We've subsidized the whole thing because we want people, we want children to come to find a savior and his name is Jesus. So bring some. Even if you don't have kids, bring some. Bring your grandkids. It's going to be amazing, I promise you. As you're turning in your Bibles, um, you know, the theme, colossal, came from me from the idea of studying through the book of Colossians, and I thought about Colossus. It's kind of those words are all similar. What you may not know, and you know, I really am not a roller coaster guy anymore, because about 10 years ago, my body told me, you can't ride these anymore. How many know what I'm talking about if you're a little older? So I get a little sick when I get on them, but I'm like, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to get on this roller coaster. You see, the Colossus in 1978 was unveiled as the largest, tallest roller coaster in the world, and they called it the Colossus, because the word colossal means huge, big. You know, in the book of Colossians, it was written from Paul to the church of Colossae. As we learned last week, this book is colossal. It's big, it's important, it's significant, and we need to hear what God is wanting to say to us. So as you're turning, we're going to read there in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Last week we went through Colossians 1. We're going to dive into Colossians chapter 2 this week. Now as you're turning, you know I like to sometimes start with something funny. And I heard a story about a competition that took place between Jesus and Satan. And they were trying to determine who was better with computers. And after six hours of creating spreadsheets and writing code and making documents, a thunderstorm hit and the power went off. Well, a few minutes later, when the power came back on, Satan starts screaming, no, it's all lost. All my information is gone. Quietly, Jesus just keeps typing, hits print, prints out his information, and gives it to the Father. As soon as he does, Satan leans over to the Father, and he says, wait, this is wrong. He had to have cheated. How come all of his information isn't gone? And the Father leaned in and smiled and said, because Jesus saves Come on, you like that? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, just throwing it out there. All right, let's stand to our feet, will you? Jesus saves. How many know Jesus saves? Wouldn't be a bad idea for us to do the same, amen? Colossians chapter 2. Let's dive right in. I want you to read it with me. Those of you joining us online, will you stand right there in your home and let's honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read the first five verses of Colossians chapter 2. Let's read together. I want to hear you strong. You ready? 
I want you to know how much I agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for the many other believers who have never met me personally. Now stop there and leave that up because we're going to go on to verse 2. As you know, Paul had never met the church in Colossae. In fact, at the time this was written, Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church in Colossae, had traveled 1,300 miles to Rome to see Paul, who was now in prison there. So he'd never met him, and we're going to talk about why he went, but let's continue on, chapter or verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all... I'm sorry, let's start that again. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For I know, or for I... Okay, let's try this again. You ready? Sorry. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. As you read through this, what you discover is that Paul is saying, listen, Christ is the one in whom all treasure is found, not knowledge, not wisdom. And we learned last week about the heresy that was threatening this church. And we're going to dive into that heresy today. But before we do, just close your eyes. Why don't you invite the Holy Spirit to pull aside every, maybe it's weariness, maybe it's a stronghold in your thinking. Maybe it's a wall you've built because you were disappointed because of something that happened in your life. Why don't you just invite the Holy Spirit to tear down anything that would stand in the way of God's word, penetrating your heart and speaking truth to you. Because when we know truth, it liberates us, it sets us free. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we say, have your way. Say this with me, say, speak to me. This morning, in the name of Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. This city, Colossae, was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, where Paul had stayed for almost three years was in Phrygia, or was known as Asia Minor. And during that now, it would be where we would know the nation of Turkey is. During that time, people from the region around Ephesus, and there were three little cities together. There was Laodicea. Many of us have heard that name. We read it a moment ago. Hierapolis and Colossae. People from the cities around Ephesus would come during those three years that Paul was in Ephesus, hear Paul preach, go back to their city and share the gospel. Epaphras most likely was someone who did that, got saved, and started a church in Colossae. Six years after that church was started, he leaves his city and goes to Rome because he's concerned about his church. And here's why he's concerned. He's concerned because there's a heresy that is being taught, that's influencing and threatening the health of the church in Colossae, of these new Christians. Last week we learned one of those heresies. A heresy is a false teaching. One of the heresies we learned last week was the seeds of what developed into Gnosticism. 
And that was basically trying to find God, having a relationship with him through philosophy or education or some great deep knowledge along with a form of mysticism, worshiping of angels and mysterious things and visions. And I don't have time to develop that. If you want to know about it, go back and listen to last week's sermon and you'll hear me talk more about it there. I unfold what Gnosticism is. And as you read through the first five verses, what does Peter or Paul do? He says, listen, Christ is the source of, of knowledge. And we learned last week two very important principles that are going to help us, and as we learn a few more this week, it's going to help us to protect ourselves from this culture because we're just like the Church of Colossae. There is a subculture, there is a, a general culture that is trying to get us to buy into beliefs, into thinking that are counter, counterintuitive to the will and purpose of God. You all with me? So we need to hear what Paul has to say. This is colossal. So last week you learned two things. Number one, it was Christ is good news. Christ is good news. We learned that the good news was what was transforming lives. And Paul makes it clear that Jesus is the good news. Secondly, we learned that Christ is enough. That we don't need something else on top of Jesus. Christ is enough. Amen? So I want to give you two bumper stickers from Colossians chapter 2. We're going to finish Colossians chapter 2 today, and then over the next several weeks, we're going to take a break um, and then come back, and I'm going to finish part of chapter 3 and then do another week on chapter 3 and then end out with chapter 4. So here's the, the bumper sticker. You ready? Bumper sticker number one. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Okay, here we go. I love to say that. Here we go. Bumper sticker number one, what is Paul saying to us, to the church of Colossae? Not only is Christ good news, and not only is Christ enough, but here's the point. Christ is a treasure. Christ is a treasure. Say that with me. Christ is a treasure. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 9 says this. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow who? Him. Who's him? Jesus, he's Christ. Let your roots, you need to underline this, let your roots grow down into him. Who's him? Jesus. Then your faith will be strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ for Christ lives, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human bodies. He says, listen, don't let anyone um, take you captive. That word captive there, or capture, is literally taking a hostage. That's what it means in the Greek. Don't let anyone take you hostage with the philosophies and ideas of this world. If you've seen the movie Taken, what happens? These girls go to Europe and they get kind of pulled in because of their desire to go to a party and have some fun. They get lured in and then they're taken and they're held captive. And there's a lot of people who have been lured in by the things of this world, by the ideas of this world. And Paul says, listen, the things of this world isn't the source of the treasure, of the knowledge, of the wisdom of God. It only comes through none other, no other thing, not from spiritualism, not from the new age, not from a degree in this or a doctoral in that. It comes through Christ. 
In fact, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and you've been searching for truth. Maybe you've searched through philosophy, or you've searched through mysticism or spiritualism. Maybe you've consulted with the 1-800-PSYCHIC hotline. Maybe you've gone to a palm reader. Maybe you've had someone, you know, you've read the horoscopes, or you've talked to someone in the New Age. Maybe you've learned someone, or maybe you turn on the TV to see what Dr. Oz or Oprah has to say, but what the Scripture says is you can search all you want, but true knowledge and wisdom come from Christ. Now, what's interesting is there's a story told about William Hurst. How many of you have ever been to Hearst Castle? Hearst Castle is over on the coast, and it was owned by a man named William Hurst, who was a very wealthy man. In his day, he was like the Bill Gates of today. He owned several publications, and he had so much money that he didn't even know what to do with it all. And later in his life, he became very eccentric, and one of the things that he did, he, and of course, just going to his house, you can see that. When you have so much money, you don't know what to do with it. And he became fascinated and almost obsessive compulsive about art. He loved art so much that he began to buy it up. But here's the eccentric part. He was so interested in art that he wanted it so bad that he would buy it up, and he had so much of it that he didn't want it to be messed up or ruined or taken, and he didn't want to put it in a place where it was vulnerable. So he had all of these warehouses filled with art to be enjoyed by humanity, but nobody could see it because he was trying to protect it in his warehouses, and he had no place to put it. The story goes that one day he goes to a couple of his employees, and he says, guys, I've been thinking about this painting, and I want you to search the world over and find that painting, and I want you to know that when you find the owner, tell him you want to buy it, and money is no option. Come back with that painting, I want it. And so, I don't know how long it was. It may have been a few weeks, may have been a few months. Probably in those days, it would have been more like months because it wasn't like today where you can just Google it or whatever. They had to search. And eventually, they came back to Mr. Hearst. And when they came back, they said, Mr. Hearst, don't be angry with us. We have some bad news or some good news and we have some bad news. He said, well, what's the good news? And they said, the good news is we found the painting. And he said, okay, that's great. What's the bad news? He said, the bad news is we could not purchase it. And he got very angry and he said, what do you mean you couldn't purchase it? I am very wealthy. I have all the money that we need. Money is no option. Why didn't you buy the painting? And they said, well, and of course, they're scared at this time. And they said, well, Mr. Hertz, the reason that, well, first of all, we found it in one of your warehouses. And the reason we can't purchase it is because you own it. And when you read through Colossians chapter 2, many times that's what was happening in the church of Colossae and what Christ, um, what Paul was saying is, listen, you've been searching for knowledge, you've been searching for truth, but you need to know something. You already have it. You already own it because you have Christ. Christ is all in all. He is supreme. He was here at the beginning. He'll be here at the end. He created the world. All truth, all knowledge is in Christ. And we know that Christ is the word, right? Because the word became flesh, according to John, and dwelt among us. So your Bible that you have is a physical representation of the truth. You own it. You have it. You don't have to search other places. Now, let me say, there's nothing wrong with getting an education. There's nothing wrong with hearing someone share their ideas and mentalities, but what you need to know is that where we need to search 
is Jesus, is the word. In fact, let me show you a great verse. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5. My child, tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would seek for silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. You know what's interesting is the Bible is truth. So here's the question. How much time do you search your Bible versus how much time do you search the internet? Ooh, got quiet in here, didn't you? I got one amen, hallelujah. We want truth and we want wisdom. Let me tell you, you need truth. We need, I need truth. You know why we need truth? Because truth is what will put us on a foundation to help us stand strong as we grow in our faith and as we live in this world. But you know, here's what's interesting. Truth is hidden. Here's what will hide truth. The only thing that hides the truth is unbelief. Have you ever met someone and you're like, don't you see it? I mean, can't you see what Christ has done? Doesn't all of this, you know, all of these principles make sense? I mean, it's common sense, this, you know, practical truth that God has given us. You know, we look at the ruling of what happened um, here in America, and we look at some of the things that have happened, and you look at it, and you're like, common sense tells us, and, and we're like, why don't you see it? Here's why, because when you don't believe, you can't see the truth. And it's when we begin to believe in Jesus, that the truth becomes known. Do you know, you have the truth. You have an incredible treasure right there in your phone. If, if you don't have the YouVersion app, you need to download it. You can go to the YouVersion app and you can read the word every day. How often are you reading? That's why, let me ask a question. Don't feel guilty or don't feel condemned if you didn't do it, but how many read Colossians this week? Let me see your hands. All right, probably 28, 30 people. I don't know if it's 28, maybe 20 to 30. Just a quick guess. Out of five, six, seven hundred people, I, wanted, I challenged you last week read the book of Colossians, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but how much time are we searching for truth? But it's so easy to get caught up searching to see how Tiger Woods did or to search and see how the stock market's doing. And suddenly we're searching for all these things. And then we wonder why we're not standing strong in our faith. Y'all with me? Say amen. I want to read to you what Paul wrote in that passage we read, and then we're going to jump to the second point. It says this. It says in verse 7, Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him, that your faith will grow strong in the truth. What's interesting is that idea of roots grow down. Another translation says, be rooted and grounded in Jesus. That is a gardening term. Then it goes on to say, and let your faith be in him that you may grow strong. That word grow strong, it means this. And it's kind of similar to the gardening term. It means to be strapped in or to be anchored down. You understand the principle that if you have a little tiny tree that you want to put in your yard to grow into a big tree, you have to dig up the soil, you bring this little tree with little roots, you put it in the ground, and you cover it with dirt, right? And you water it really good, and you fertilize it. But how many know that that's probably not enough because the wind is going to blow, especially here in the Valencia area, and when the wind blows or when the kids play in the yard or when the dog's there or when something happens, that that tree is likely to fall over, and if it falls over, it's never going to grow and be strong. 
So you have to plant it deep into the ground so that the tiny roots will grow down into the soil. But you can't just be rooted. You have to also be strong. In other words, you have to be anchored. So what do we do? We take a pole, we drive it into the ground, and we anchor in the tree so that when the wind blows, it will stand strong so that the roots can continue to grow down, and eventually you can cut that thing away, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to grow. That's the image of what Paul is saying to you and I. The problem is many of us don't have an anchor. Because all of our effort and all of our time is spent searching truth in other places than where it's truly found. What am I trying to do? I think what was Paul trying to do? Listen, dive into Jesus. There's nothing wrong with ESPN. There's nothing wrong with with the gardening network. There's nothing wrong with the food network. There's nothing wrong with conversations, study, and college educations. But here's the point. How much time are you building and strengthening and putting yourself in a position that when the wind blows, you're going to stand? You'll never do that until you remember that Christ is a treasure. Christ is good news. Christ is enough. Christ is a treasure. Somebody say amen. Amen. Just stir in the pot a little bit. Everybody go like this. Just stir in the pot a little bit, trying to get you to think. That's what Paul was doing. Here's the second point. You ready? Point number one is Christ is a treasure. Secondly, Christ is completion. Everybody say, Christ is completion. completion. Colossians chapter 2, let's continue reading on in chapter 2. It says this, so you are also what? What? You are also what? Through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. So all of the ladies will appreciate this probably more than the men, but here's what you can say in your morning when you pray to Jesus. You complete me. How many saw that movie, right? You complete me. We all want that idea, my soulmate. You're the yin, I'm the yang. You complete me. That's what Paul is saying. Completion is found not just in a hobby or in greater learning or in a good friend or in the perfect spouse. Completion. If you're trying to find completion through your soulmate, you're going to still find some empty holes and missing places. Because completion comes only through who? Christ. That's why people are often disappointed in marriage. Because they're searching for someone to complete them. Now, obviously, there are people in our life that we're matched to, that... God has intended us to be with that can help us fulfill. But ultimate completion can't come through someone else. It can only come through Jesus Christ. He is the one who completes you. Somebody say amen to that. Let's talk about the second heresy that he was worried about. The first heresy was the beginnings of Gnosticism. The second one was what we call legalism. It was influenced by the Jewish believers of that region. I think there were close to 50,000 Um, historians would project that 50,000 population of Jewish people lived in the three cities of Hierapolis, um, Laodicea, and Colossae. And 
coming from a Judaistic belief system, it was based around legalism or laws, things that you did. And by doing these things, in fact, every um, religion, really, if you look at all the religions, all of them have to do, outside of Christ and Christianity, all of them have to do with what you do, what you accomplish to make you right with God. And he was worried about it. Let me tell you some of the things that, and we see it. I'm going to get ready to read it, okay? These are some of the things, legalistic things, that Paul was worried they were going to buy into. Let me give you them. Ready? Here was the first one. Circumcision. One of the things they were worried about was simply this, that the, the people of the day were saying, listen, you can accept Jesus and be saved, but you're not really saved until you get circumcised. So Christ isn't enough. You need to add something to it. So if you accept Jesus, that's a good point. That's a starting place. But you need to be circumcised and walk out circumcision. That way, you truly will be right standing with God. You truly will reach a higher level. You truly will be spiritual. Another one was dietary restrictions. If you follow this eating plan, then that's the way you become spiritual. You can have Christ, but you also need to not eat pork. And you need to be kosher. Now, when we look at that, have you ever thought about it? God, why did you give the Jewish people this dietary issue, restrictions? And here's a couple reasons, I think, why. One of the reasons was is God was doing it when they were going through the wilderness to protect them from physical issues by eating the wrong things that would later hurt them and cause them to be sick. So he was doing it because he loved them. Here's the second reason that many times isn't talked about. He was doing it because he didn't want them, because in that culture, in Eastern culture, Meals were intimacy, they were closeness, they were friendship, and you'd spend hours sitting and talking. And what he didn't want to do is he didn't want them to become close and have meals with the Gentiles, the non-believers, because he was worried. God said, I don't want you to go in and become good friends with them. Then suddenly, the next thing you know, you'll buy into their belief systems, you'll marry their, their daughters, and then you'll start becoming an idolater, and then you'll be driven out of the land. So I'm going to give you some eating restrictions so that you can't eat with them, which is my love to protect you so that you don't put yourself in a position to be in judgment rather than in grace. But what happened in this situation, we know that when we're saved, we're saved through faith in Christ, not through works, lest any man should boast. But in that day, the legalism was, listen, you could be saved through Christ, but you also need to eat a certain way. Let me give you another one. You know, you know what Jesus said, though, in Mark 7. He said, what goes into a man is not what defiles him. It's what comes out of him that defies him, envy and murder, and, right? So as we look at the scripture, that part of the law, it, we don't have to follow that law for salvation anymore. Now, is there some things that are good for us? Yeah, we could still do. The point is, is that we're saved through Jesus because Jesus is enough. He's completion. You're complete through him. Amen? Here's another one, observing holy days. Another legalistic practice that was trying to influence the church. If you follow the Passover or if you, you make sure that you celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, because if you don't do that, you're not right with God. If you, you know, don't make sure that you honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. If you worship on Sunday versus Saturday. And they began to influence them on the days of worship. And so they got so focused on worshiping certain days and doing certain things that they were putting themselves back under the law thinking that somehow it was through those practices that they were made right with God. Not faith in Christ. But let's remember, Jesus is our completion, not the Sabbath. 
Now, do we need to honor the Sabbath? Sure. You need to have a day where you rest your body. It's God's loving design to keep you from burning out your body before your time. And also, it's God's way to help you to stop and make sure that he's first. And now today, we don't worship, most Christian churches don't worship on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, because we worship on Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so we honor the principle of the first, which actually is in the Old Testament, and that, God, I'm going to give you the first day so the rest will be blessed. The problem was is that all of these ideas were becoming the theme for how you were complete, not Jesus. Another one I'll I'll finish up with this was self-denial. And that is if you deny yourself, in fact, one of these ideas is asceticism, and that's where you see monks that move away, and they, they basically live in a little tiny room, and they, they, they sleep on a flat bed that's not comfortable, and they have a little bowl and a little table and a little chair, and they don't eat nice foods. They only drink water and, and eat rice, and somehow through their denial of themselves and denial of pleasure or hurting themselves, you've seen um, videos of people beating themselves and hurting their flesh. Somehow by crucifying the flesh and denying himself, that will make you more spiritual. Let me tell you something. If you fast more than me, that doesn't make you more spiritual than me. If you beat yourself with chains or with whips, that doesn't make you more spiritual. Because here's how we're spiritual. Through Jesus Christ and through the transformation that he does in our life. Now, there are times where God calls us to certain things, a moment to fast and pray, sure. But again, what began to happen is they began to focus on legalistic practices that somehow doing these things is what will make us complete, what will save us and make us spiritual. Y'all with me? Say amen. So I'm going to read, as he's playing, I want to read Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to read through most of the rest of the chapter. And I want you to stay focused. Watch what's in here, because you're going to see all the things I just talked about. All right? You're going to see the mysticism, and you're going to see the, the, the hints of what was known as Gnosticism. You're going to see legalism. Watch what it says. And then we're going to draw two truths and bring this thing to a close. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Amen? For he forgave all our sins. You need to underline that. And underline this too. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed. This is important too. You should underline this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you. You know what that word condemn means? It means to disqualify like when you're running in a race and you step out of your lane and you're disqualified. It says, don't let anyone disqualify you or condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies, which was the, the, the new moon was when the sacrifice was offered, or Sabbaths. 
For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. So don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion highest self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. So often we work so hard. In fact, I want to give you these two ideas. What is completion in Christ? Christ is completion. Here's the first thing. Write this down. Complete freedom. Complete freedom. We just read a moment ago. It says, he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. These rulers may seem wise because they require strong devotion, or these rules, self-denial, bodily discipline, but they provide no freedom of conquering a person's evil desires. You see, the Bible says that he, he made a show of them and defeated them. What's he talking about? He's talking about the principalities of this world, the powers of darkness, the, the strength of the enemy, Satan, upon your life is that Jesus defeated them. And here's what it's referring to. In that day, Rome was the, the one in charge. It was the, the main culture of the day. And Rome, when they defeated an enemy, here's what they would do. On the battlefield, they would make the defeated warriors strip off all of their armor. And then they would take all of their weapons. And then they would tie their hands together and tie them all together by the hands and bring them back to Rome and they would march through the city. And as they marched through the city, the generals and the captains would go in, in advance, go ahead. And as the captains would walk and the generals would walk, the people would cheer. And then as it got to the enemy, as they walked with just a little bit of clothing on, having had their armor and their weapons stripped off of them, they would jeer at them. See, that's the picture. Jesus, through the cross, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He conquered your sin. He conquered the unrighteousness that is in you. He paid the price. So here's kind of the big thought. Freedom comes not from what we do. Freedom comes from what he did. I read a story about a battle that took place in America. You may have never have heard of it. It was called the Battle of Fort Boyer. Just gonna, kind of in a nutshell, it was kind of the tail end of the Revolutionary War when they were trying to divvy up everything. And what happened is this group of British soldiers, 3,000 of them, laid siege to Fort Boyer and fought against the Americans. And after a, a, a very heavy battle, the British won the battle and took over the fort only to find out two days later that the treaty had already been signed and they had lost the war. And so they had to turn around and give the fort back to the Americans because they had fought a battle not realizing that the war had already been won. 
You see, in Jesus Christ, we have complete, complete freedom. And there's a lot of people who, through legalistic ideas, are still fighting a battle. But here's the good news. The battle's already been won. Jesus already defeated death, hell, and the grave. So just receive and stand in the freedom that God has given you. Quit fighting for something that Jesus already did. Now let me stop and say, obviously, that doesn't mean we don't live how we want and we don't follow godly principles. There's a difference between license and liberty. And we're going to talk about that next week because in chapter 3, Paul goes from the heights up on the mountains of theology and then dives down into the valley of practical. And he talks about how do we live this out and what's some practical things. But many of you are striving, you're working, you're fighting, and you're trying to win a battle. But here's the deal. The battle, the war has already been won. Receive the completion, the freedom that comes through Christ. Here's the, the last thing. Complete freedom. And here's the second thing that completion means. Complete forgiveness. It says this, it says, for he forgave all our sins and canceled the record of charges against us. Here's what this idea comes from. In that day, when scribes were writing things down, when you had a debt that you had to pay, you basically wrote what's called an IOU. And you would take a pen, dip it into the ink, and on parchment, you would write, I, Jared, owe so-and-so this amount, and sign your name. It was an IOU, but here's the thing. It was written on parchment, and the type of, of ink that they used was not acidic, so that ink just sat on top of the parchment on the paper. So later on, you could actually go back with a wet rag, and you could actually erase all of the writing that was on the parchment so much that there was no trace of the ink anymore. When Jesus said that he has forgiven you and he's wiped out the record, you see, all of us, because of sin, had a list of things that caused us not to be forgiven, not to be changed, not to be free. But Jesus came and he died on the cross and he wiped off all of the charges, all of the debt. And here's the good news. There is no trace anymore. You can't find a record anymore. When the devil jumps on your shoulder and he tells you, look what you did. Look who you are. Look, you just say, there's no record there. I have been forgiven and I am completely free, completely forgiven because of Jesus Christ. My father-in-law is a really giving guy. My mother-in-law, they're very generous. When we were young, they would always pay the bill when we went to dinner, which was really good because when we were really young, we were really poor. <laughs> but as I've gotten older, I can pay my own bill, and so it's kind of a joke. We always fight over the bill. But he's sneaky, that guy. And sometimes during dinner, he'll act like he's going to the bathroom, and then he'll go to the waitress, and here's what'll happen. They'll bring the bill, it'll sit on the table, I'll pull my card out, and then the waitress will say, oh, sir, it's already paid. And I'll be like, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm sorry, the debt is gone, it's already paid. Well, can I give something? What if I do the tip? What if I, no, no, it's already been taken care of. 
And a lot of us, we keep trying to pay the bill. Well, if I pray a little more, if I beat myself with the chain, if I, if I go to prayer meeting this many times, somehow we try through our efforts to try to pay a bill that has already been paid. But let me tell you something. In Christ is total completion. There are no debts. You have been completely forgiven. So you can sing this. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Cause there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. They sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stain everything that you need everything that you need listen to me everything that you need Jesus is everything that you need Jesus is in the scripture, he's called the ark. In the scripture, he's called the altar, the teacher, the ladder, the shepherd, the friend, the truth, the treasure, the temple. He's the light. He's the life. He's the peace. He's the Passover. He's our portion. He's our substitute. He's our freedom. He's a fountain. He's our wisdom. He's a standard, the Bible says. He's a way. He's an example. The Bible says he's a door. The Bible says he's a son. He's a shield. He's a reward. He's our strength. He's our song. He's our sanctification. He's our supplier. He's our resurrection. He's our redemption. All you have to do is go back to Genesis, and you can see in Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's a fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. In Ezra, he's a true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he's the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time 
and he's the season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Lamentations, the cry of Israel. Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he's forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord our Savior. In Jonah, he's a great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God. He is man. He is Messiah. In the book of Acts, he's a fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he's freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, our glorious treasure. In Philippians, a servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Lord over all. In Thessalonians, our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and in Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in Revelations, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Son of man, the Lamb of God, the great I am. Jesus is our completion. Come on, give him a praise today. Give him a praise today. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah.